0: Welcome to movie moments discussing the greatest movies of all time plus all the newest films in theaters and streaming like us rate us share us here are your hosts mike rags and chuck curry
1: hello again everybody thanks for joining us for another edition of movie moments i am mike rags our good buddy chuck curry is here as well Of course, wherever you're listening, Spotify, Apple, make sure you subscribe uh, to your favorite podcast, which is this one, as we discuss the best in movies across the world and in the past. Well, we're going to dive into a little TV as well today because Chuck lined up a couple of great guests, celebrity guest interviews with uh, actors, Noah Wiley and Shane West. Uh, Both starred on ER. Of course, Noah Wiley a little more prominently. uh, He got a chance to talk to both actors. Both actors actually... Uh, opening up new films in theaters uh, as we speak. So we'll learn a little bit more about that. And we'll bring in Chuck Curry right now. And since they were both doctors on TV, Chuck, we figured we'd rank our favorite doctors in TV and film coming up a little bit. And there's quite a lot to pick from on television, that's for sure.
2: Oh, No doubt. I and, mean, you know, I, I think, you know, when you suggested it to me, I, I said, you know what, this is actually a really good Topic and it brings back a lot of memories, some of my uh, favorite all time TV shows. So uh, let's do it.
1: All right, Chuck, will take care of the TV in a second, and I'll take care of the film doctors. Uh, But let's talk about new movies in theaters now. And the number one movie in theaters yet again, Chuck, is Five Nights at Freddy's, of course, getting a little extra push from the Halloween and the first weekend in November. It's grossed over $113 million overall and probably maybe would have been more if it wasn't on Peacock as well. Both you and I had a chance To watch it now I watched it with my daughter Who was watching it for the second time Who she went to the theaters to go See it because she's a huge Five Nights At Freddy's fan so I can review it Through her eyes or I can review it through Our eyes and I think you and I will agree uh, On a lot of the problems with the film But I will tell you she told me Uh, that if you are a fan of the video game, which is what it's based on, that there's a lot of uh, Easter eggs and funny stuff and insiders really enjoy it, although they changed a little bit of the storyline from the video game to the movie. The guy who wrote the video game and programmed it was co-screenwriter for this film as well. She said loyal fans will love the film. She liked it. In fact, she watched it twice within two days and she's 13 year old. So that being said, you and I, might not be the target audience for this film and it's making quite a lot of money, but as we watch it as purely horror fans, I will say this. I like the setup. I like the idea. I like the lead character played by Josh Hutchinson. I thought that had a a good uh, uh, lead up and origin story for him. I just got to tell you, it's not very scary and the animatronics don't do very much in this film to scare people. And fortunately Chuck, when I saw the PG 13 rating before it came out, I had my uh, doubts, and I think a lot of the problems with this film is that it is PG-13. There's really not a lot of gore. There's really not a lot of scares, and I think that's ultimately when you're building a horror movie, you kind of need those two things, and this movie just doesn't have it. Interesting characters, interesting idea, um, but overall, I wasn't scared that much, um, and I did get through it, and, and only because of the performances were pretty good. But again, if you're going to make a movie about animatronics killing people, you kind of have to have animatronics killing people and just didn't have enough of it. Chuck.
2: I, I got to be honest. I, I could not agree m- with more of what you said. I, I think you're right on, on the money. I just want to expand on the problems I have with this film. Let's make a comparison. Bloomhouse, which has had a very successful run producing horror films at a very reasonable budget, reasonable budget. I think this film was produced from what I read for around $20 million It had a $80 million opening. That's day-to-day on Peacock. Yes, it had a massive fall-off week-to-week. But I think the reason for that is, one, this film's target audience clearly is what they call front-loaded in the industry to an extreme. And I do think word of mouth uh, as a whole, I think, is on the more negative than positive side. Here's the problem I had. Make a comparison to the movie Megan, which was also a Bloomhouse movie, okay? Mm-hmm. Megan originally was shot as an R-rated film, and then it was edited down to PG-13 to expand its audience theatrically. I liked Megan immensely. I thought it was very good. I liked Alison Williams as the lead. I thought it was thought-provoking. I thought uh, it had an intensity that worked. I thought it was a very good movie, and I thought it deserved to do well at the box office, and it did. Now, this film... Uh, is perplexing to me on multiple levels, and I'll, t- I'll tell you why. I say to myself, who did they make the movie for? It feels, like you said, it feels to me, this feels like a movie made for 12 and under. Uh, they purposely didn't want to scare that crowd. Right. My biggest issue with the film, let's make another comparison. We'll go back to the 80s. Remember the movie Ch- Chopping Mole?
1: yeah of course yeah okay
2: now the basic setup in a movie like that most people who walk into a theater let's say you're not a fan of the video game you're going to expect a setup a character you could get involved with which this film has a setup which you think it has and then a payoff the problem with this film is they set it up to a point and then for some reason that i cannot fathom or explain this script whoever wrote the script dwells on Backstory to such yeah, an extent Way too much
1: backstory, way too much But yeah. I said
2: to myself, what in the world, Mike? I said to myself when I'm watching this Like, I want to get into this movie Because it looks good yep. I like the lead, right? It has potential But I I bought something And they gave me something I didn't buy right. It's 80% backstory It felt like I was watching an Earl and Alan TV movie From the 1970s like 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 a cost-cutting yes. measure, like yes. a cost-cutting measure. That's what you do when you look to cut costs. You don't want to spend the money on the animatronic. But I, I do agree with you. If you're going to do this film, the animatronics, they got to kill people, right? I yeah. mean, they they got to scare people. I don't think, for me personally, I don't think there was one scare in this film. I Not just, really.
1: Not really. I, and I, I do I, like –
2: and I do I like class, Matthew
1: Lillard's role. I do, I thought it was interesting they got married Stuart Masterson. I don't know yeah, how much yeah. money they paid her to come but, out but of she,
2: retirement. But, but her, she she bugs the movie down with backstory. That's completely unnecessary.
1: And I'm big
2: my my last question to you just why not do a straightforward setup all hell breaks loose? Why? What were they thinking?
1: I don't know. I, I think a lot of it has to do with to get as mass audience as possible. They went PG 13, like you said, the younger crowd and the fans. Um and I, I I think the problem is too. They're probably too true to the video game. Um, I, I I guess. I mean, I've watched my daughter play it. There's not a, bl- a lot of blood and carnage. It's a lot of jump scares, not a lot so of I jump wa- scares. I, I want, want you to that. ask
3: her
2: a, I want you to ask her a question for next week's episode. Does a video game have all that back story?
1: It does. I mean, yeah, well, really? the thing is, is that the, the yeah. video game has like eight parts to it. So every year okay. they come out with a new version of it and there's a, more of a back. So in reality, there is. Um, but I mean, look, all we need to know is that there's ghosts of kids and animatronics killing people. We don't really need to know much more than that. I, it, I
2: agree.
1: You're right. It does get bogged down a lot. I will say. I'm a big fan of Elizabeth Lale, who plays the cop in this film. She, she was on the first season of You, uh, right. and she was in that movie Countdown. It came out a couple of years ago, a horror movie. I really wish she'd work more because she's got a great look, and and she's really good. She's got like one of those characters you like automatically as soon as she comes on screen. So I just I wish – I wish uh, she she'd work a little bit more in higher profile stuff. And it's good to see our good buddy Matthew Lillard. You know, yeah. Although, well, listen, although the, I, I don't know about you, and I don't want to give him too many spoilers, but yeah. I mean, you could probably see where his character's going a million miles ahead yeah. of time for sure. Um, but, I, but I I just
2: I just I just uh, I am I really am as if if I was. Because Universal released it. Bloomhouse produced it.
1: Yep. If I'm and a it made student, a good, it's I mean, gonna. – they'll probably do another one. Let's face oh, it. Oh, they're the, going to. The, listen, the, yeah. it's very
2: prop- – it's $200 million gross worldwide on a $20 yep. million dollar budget. Let's say – I don't know what they spent on marketing. So let's say $25 million. It's an extremely profitable movie, no doubt. But I don't think they made a good movie.
1: Well, uh, I, I think, think they – if- they,
2: they, they had the elements to make a good movie. They didn't deliver a good movie.
1: I think if you look back a couple of years ago, Nicholas Cage did a similar film indie picture called Willie's Wonderland. Right. And it, yeah. and that movie has the blood and carnage. So right. maybe it has
2: the, the intensity.
1: It has the intensity. It's so probably somewhere in between where this has decent characters that has mm-hmm. the, the killer animatronics somewhere in between. There's probably a decent horror movie here.
2: Yes. Maybe on the cutting room floor. I don't, I don't know. I I don't, but it it feels to me like, like, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get too extreme taking it to me. If I was a blue man, I would not rehire that director to do not. sequel. I would not, I would go in a different direction. Listen, the potentials there. Uh, I don't think it's been damaged to the point where they can't cultivate a very successful franchise. And and it's not a
1: disaster. It's not a disaster. It's involving you're watching it, but you just keep waiting for something. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Hey, but I, let's not waste too much time on that. Um, sure. Let's talk about the new film in, in theaters and the latest concoction of a Marvel movie, actually called The Marvels, which you had a chance to see.
2: I did. I saw it last night, not with a big crowd. Uh, I, I, you know, I knew going in, Mike that the reviews were somewhat polarizing. It appeared that the fanboy crowd on YouTube, some of the hardcore comic book fans that do all these videos on YouTube, uh, did not like it uh, at all. And then there was a different breed of of crowd that found the movie very appealing and funny and and had a good time watching it. Uh, I saw only about 10 people. I I knew most of them. Uh, A lot lot of them did find enjoyment in the movie. Here's my opinion. Uh, I sat there, and then when it was over... I sort of had an epiphany and I started to think back to 1978 when I sat in a theater and I watched Superman, the movie. And Mm -hmm. then over the decades, uh, I watched Batman and all the Nolan Batman films. And then what Marvel did at its peak and Avengers Endgame, and how much enjoyment I got out of this genre. And when the movie was over, I said to myself, they need to stop doing this for a couple of years, Mike, because I, from my, my point of view, what they delivered on screen for me, again, this movie felt like it was made for twelve-year-olds. Yeah, um, it had n- it had no edge. Uh, it, I mean, the cast is appealing. I, I like I like.
1: Well, the yeah, scene. I mean, they're all back. She's good too. I mean, I like and her, and, right? uh,
2: and this girl Ima uh, Valina who plays uh, Miss Marvel on the Disney Plus show. Uh, you know, she has a quirky energy and and she's fun. But the problem is there's no stakes. The script is paper thin. And I, I say, when I say paper thin, I mean think of as thin as possible. Uh, there's no point for this movie to really exist in, in, other than try to entertain people who are watching it. I got very little entertainment value out of it. Here's the thing. They go so over the top, Mike, with the quirkiness and the humor. Bree Lawson, Captain Marvel in this fil- film, actually has a full-blown song and dance number oh, in the no. movie. Like, no. I could not, Mike, I could not believe some of the stuff. And then there's a, a, a scene with a bunch of cats, you know, because you got Goose, right? Who's, Goose. who's fun. Yeah. But then yeah. you got a scene with a bunch of cats doing the, that, 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 that thing with their, when the, that monster comes out of their mouth. And they, then they do a slow-mo montage to, like, 100 cats. And I'm like, really? Like, this is after, after the height of Avengers Endgame. This is where we're going. Now, I read a a review. I, I know this sounds crazy, but somebody said that the director is a female director in this film, actually made this movie the way she made it to basically give the middle finger to the Marvel fanboys. If that's accurate that's ridiculous. I, I just think that's
1: reprehensible um, for the studios too. It yeah, makes that's... no
2: sense. Now I think yeah. this movie will divide people. Uh, I think that there will be a certain crowd that will enjoy his quirkiness and just get entertainment value out of it. And then there'll be people like myself who wanted to walk into this movie and like it, but it has no edge. It has no stakes. It has no real reason for existing. I would not spend $150 million on what they created. And this is not a direction I think Marvel should go in. Having said that before we move on, I think you're right. You stated last week they need to stop making superhero movies for two years minimum and then re-energize, regroup and go forward. That's my opinion here.
1: Well, before and, and uh, you know, enough is enough. We've talked about it ad nauseum and, you know, on top of Ant-Man, now this one, I, I just I think it's I think it's time. And, uh, you know, before we ch- ch- channel uh, our top. Uh, doctors lists there's a big story came out today obviously we're not gonna go into too much movie news but the writer strike the actor strike all, all strikes are over all back to work Chuck um enough is enough and you know typical of strike nobody knows what the deal was nobody knows what won what i, I you know was there any you know who who caved who didn't cave yeah. so all this I doubt time the, the actors even know yeah it's all this time all this posturing and in the end it, we just all it did was hang up the business for a good almost a year now yes, and uh yes. uh what I what I do find interesting is now you're starting to see new trailers coming out and and films that in 2025 and 2024 uh will will start hitting shelves and theaters and, and like Inside Out 2 um the animated film from Pixar and of course a new Ghostbusters film uh with trailers and they don't hide the gang's all together again Chuck obviously that Ramos. Yeah, a little surprising, but I wonder how big their parts are in it. I like the for, the last uh, reinc- uh, the reincarnation of Ghostbusters. You weren't Most a big did. fan of it. I did
2: not. I did not. I, I, I do think the cast.
1: I think the cast is good though. So I think if they mm-hmm. get a, a a better story and in New York City, it could be a lot of fun. And the trailer looks pretty interesting.
2: Uh, this was a decent trailer. I do agree yeah. with that. I, I was surprised when I saw Bill Murray and in, in, uh Dan not Dan Eckert, in in, in – uh and uh, Ernie Hudson pop up when, but get Bill Murray. Obviously, has uh, bowed down to the to the. Uh, I mean, to, to the studio heads and said, "Yeah, hey, I'll, I'll be involved here." Chuck, um, you know, it's, I,
1: so they show all of them before they show the cast from the last they movie.
2: Do here's yeah. the thing for me. Here's it because I had a different reaction in the original. I I love Paul Rudd. I did not at all like the character he played in the last installment. It was sort of like a homage to Rick Moranis' character from the original, which to me is not a lead character in a Ghostbusters movie. Maranis is great in those movies, but you don't make him the lead. Um, I, I think they should, I personally think they should have went in a completely different direction and cast all new actors as Ghostbusters. Uh, hire some up and coming, appealing talent. I know you didn't like the female version. I did. So get, get some male comics to do Ghostbusters, but it is a good trailer. Uh, so I'll give it a chance.
1: And I like the young girl. I think she's she got a lot of talent. I, I,
2: I do, too. I, I, I just, I just, I, I have such a, I really dislike that film, the last one. So uh, I'm, I'm skeptical, to say the least.
1: All right, Chuck, let's talk about the, uh, before we get to our interviews with both Noah Wiley and Shane West, who both. Uh, were doctors on the TV show ER. Of course, Noah was there the whole run. Uh, Shane West in the later years. Uh, Let's rank our favorite doctors on TV and film, and let's just go back and forth. You name your number 10 uh, doctor on TV. I'll name my number 10 doctor on film, and and we'll react to each of our lists. So why don't you start at number 10 for your TV doctors?
2: I will. I'm going to have a couple doctors from the same show, but my number 10 is going to be George Clooney's Doctor uh, Doug Ross.
1: Doug on, Ross
2: uh, on ER. ER started in '94. Uh, episode. There was a, uh, an episode in season two, which aired in 1995. It was titled "Hell or High Water," which uh, a, a little boy was stuck in a, a sewer, uh, a, a storm drain, and it was flooding. Uh, Clooney played that character. He was always a troubled character. A great pediatrician doctor in the U- ER. He was in his car, sort of like uh, in a depressed state, smoking pot. Uh, And then he sees this kid in a storm drain uh, and and saves the day. Made Clooney really elevated his star power immensely. 48 million people watched that episode. I thought he did great work on ER, as good a work as anything he's ever done in his career, which he'll uh, attest to. I'm sure. So my number 10, Dr. Doug Ross on ER played by uh, George Clooney.
1: Yeah. If I put a TV list together, he would certainly have been on it. Uh, Uncoincidentally, I don't know how it happened, but I actually stopped watching the show when he left. Um, And they did that whole farewell episode for, it was just, uh, I didn't mean to do it. I just stopped having interest in the show. So, and I know I missed a, probably a ton of good episodes, but uh, he was one, I guess my favorite on that show and certainly would have made a TV list of mine. Now I went jokingly for my number 10 Chuck, because in the mad cast of characters of cannonball run, how could you forget Dr. Nicholas van Helsing for me, Jack Elam almost steals that movie with a couple of the scenes that he does as a so-called doctor that they had to get in the ambulance to help of course, our good buddies, Burles and Dom DeLuise, Um, just drinking things out of the syringe. Uh, it, 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 it's uh, It's I have a lot of comedy in here. I just thought Jackie Elam was uh, quite hysterical in that role. So I went with Dr. Nicholas Van Helsing. Trust me, my list gets better. I just wanted to start with that, some comedy. That,
2: I got to tell you something. Of all the people you could have picked for, uh, as a doctor <laughs> in a film, that would be uh, something that would not strike the inner workings of my... Uh, Mine, mine, my, my my number nine. I went with um the character of Miranda Bailey, uh, played by Chandra Wilson on the long running Grey's Anatomy, which started way back, uh, way back in 2005. You know, my Grey's Anatomy,
1: it's still on, too, most- right? It's, is it still what, on? Yes,
2: it's still on, man. Uh, still popular with all you know, across all platforms, ABC, and then bounces, I think, to Hulu. It does well over like 12 million uh, viewers a a, a week still. Um, It's one of the most popular streaming shows on, on, on people. You know, it, it has become a very generational show. Uh, I always liked her work. I I think uh, she's a very appealing character, very, very human, brings a lot of energy to that show. And I think does a great job. It's a terrific character, Miranda Bailey on ABC's long running Grey's Anatomy.
1: That's a good pick. I never really yeah. got into the show. So, I mean, she was always appealing of course, first popping up in old school. Right. And, and she's a good actress. Yeah. Good pick. I, I don't watch the show, so I can't go deeper into it. Um, my number nine, I think you'll, you'll have a little more reaction than, uh, than Jack Elam, but I always thought that one of <laughs> the creepy, one of the creepiest and scariest performances on film was, uh, Dr. David Kibner played by Leonard Nimoy in invasion of the body snatchers. Um, First of all, Nimoy's delivery in and of itself on any performance he ever gives makes you wonder if he's a pod or not a pod. But that's what's great about his performance here in this film, Chuck, is did he go over to the other side? Is he good? Is he bad? And we never quite know when he does go over to the other side. I always thought Nimoy's performance very underrated as Dr. David Kibner in the remake of Philip Kaufman's Invasion of Body Snatchers.
2: I I think we would both agree easily one of the best movies of uh of uh the, the set of the seventies came out in nineteen seventy eight you're right when he does go over uh he is absolutely ice cold in his decision making really one of the one of the the scene with with him and Donald Sutherland when they try to turn him is one of the scariest yeah. in a great very scene. subtle way. It's a great scene. That's a great pick. Yeah like my number eight I know you're gonna like this one. Uh I went with uh I went with Quincy M D, uh played by oh, Uh, which ran from 1976 to 1983. The reason I like Quincy so much because Jack Klugman is Jack Klugman. And he was a great screen presence, especially on television. Uh, This is a very popular show, which ran uh, in the seventies and eighties. People love Klugman. Uh, He was one of those sort of warm blanket personalities that people radiated to on a weekly basis on a TV show. Uh, always bucking the trend and, 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 uh, and, and always being a difference of opinion as a, as a, as a doctor, I, I, I like this show a lot. Uh, Quincy, uh, is my number eight.
1: Yeah. Good transition from Oscar Madison to Quincy me, uh, at medical examiner and great cast around him too. And Richard Edo as his assistant and, and a lot of, uh, good fun. I, I always loved that show and a great theme song too. Uh, you can't have a good TV show. Well, yep. a great theme song. Great, great pick. I like that one. Anything Jack Klugman ever did, I'm a big fan of. I go to another t- psychiatrist, at my number eight, Chuck. Um, Is he dead or is he not dead? We don't know if he's dead until the end, but Dr. Malcolm Crow, played by uh, Bruce Willis in the classic M. Night Shyamalan, The Sixth Sense, um, befriending the young character, obviously, uh, Haley Joe Osmond, who uh, one of the greatest kid performances ever on Great. film. But what's lost in it is how good a performance Bruce Willis gives. And once you go back and you look at all his scenes and you evaluate, you know, he's really playing off people that don't know they're playing off of him. Uh, it's just chilling. Um, and his uh, relationship with Haley Joe Osmuth is really good. Gets lost because Haley Joe's so fantastic and even, you know, uh, steals the film, uh, became a huge star from that film Uh, and, and, but let's not forget without the big twist at the end and who performs it by Bruce Willis. I loved his Malcolm Crow in that film.
2: Yeah. I mean, listen, in retrospect, Bruce Willis did a lot of action stuff, but he's a true, he was, he, you know, Bruce Willis is a great actor Yeah, and, and this was a fantastic before I got a question for you. Has your daughter watched this film yet?
1: Yes, she did. She was uh, oh, she, her mind blown at the end of the film. Really? Okay, cool. It absolutely really cool. responded. Responded exactly how you'd want someone to watching it for the first time to respond.
2: Very good. My number seven, a little against the grain, but it's one of my all time favorite shows and characters. So I went with uh, Dr. Uh, Doctor Jack Shepard, played by Matthew Fox on the ABC show, oh, yeah. Us, which ran from yeah. 2004 to 2010. Very thought-provoking show. One of my all-time favorite scenes in that show is when, in the later seasons, when they started doing the parallel universes, the scene where, uh, where, where Jack Shepard does surgery on, on Locke. And he starts moving his legs. They always used a, a tremendous musical score. That's composer went on to do great work in, in many Michael of the,
1: yeah, great, great composer.
2: Yeah. that his score, his talent on the show really elevated scenes to a very, very high level. So I, I listen, I love Matthew Fox uh, on, on loss. I thought that was a great character, One of my all time favorite characters, Dr. Jack Shepard, uh, for people who have not seen lost sketch binge watch it it's, it's yep. really one it's of on the greatest me. shows ever made
1: yep yep uh my number great pick and a good character in that f- show for sure uh my number seven i'll say three words to you and you know exactly which doctor i'm talking about chuck and that's is it safe uh one of the f- scariest oh. dentists of all time dr christian zell who's played by Lawrence olivier in uh marathon yeah. man uh I get chills just thinking about that scene. Me Me One too. of the more effective scenes in movie history, of course he's got Dustin Hoffman and he's torturing him with a, with a uh, dentist drill. And he just keeps asking the question, is it safe? Uh, uh or DDSs. I'm sure their businesses went down after that film in the 70s because <laughs> that's a bad bad place to be and uh, one yeah. of the scariest performances of all the- and a great scene too when he's getting recognized on the street and he's got that that pop out little uh knife that he has a real good villain in uh in Marathon Man and Lawrence Olivier a great performance so Dr. Christian Zell's my number seven
2: you know, it's a great, great pick. You know, what's interesting is that a lot of people, we don't really talk about Laurence Olivier now. This, I mean, this generation doesn't really know of him unless you're a historian of, of film. But, you know, back in the day, he was regarded as the greatest actor of all time by, by many, many people. I mean, this film, Boys from Brazil, uh, you know, a great talent. It's a good pick. My number six, this is the only one I think that could overlap on your list. I don't know if you have it in movies, but he did the character on television and film, and that was the character of uh, Dr. Leonard uh, uh, McCoy Bones, played by DeForest uh, Kelly on on Star Trek. His line delivery, his intellectual uh, intelligence, uh, always a very fun watch and a very important character in the legacy and the canon of that franchise. I loved him on the TV show and also did great work In the theatrical film, especially Star Trek uh, for the Voyage Home. Uh, Really good, uh, really good actor.
1: Yep. And uh, didn't make my list, but damn it, Jim. Uh, Great, a great line reading by him. Always. Always. (laughs) (laughs) My number seven is uh, Dr. Frederick Frankenstein, or you might know him as Frankenstein. Chuck, and that's Gene Wilder in Young Frankenstein as the uh, would-be brain surgeon, I suppose, scientist who develops Peter Boyle into Frankenstein. Uh, Just one of the greatest comic performances of all time. Uh, His side mate, Igor Uh, Frankenstein, to me, is one of the great characters that Mel Brooks had ever thought up. Uh, in film, Chuck, and his dance scene, of course, with putting on the Ritz with uh, Frankenstein himself, uh, it just really puts it over the top. So Gene Wilder's performance as Frederick Frankenstein is my number seven.
2: Really good. Uh, pick an iconic film, no doubt, one of the most entertaining, funniest films ever made. My number five, I went with uh, the character of Benjamin Franklin, Hawkeye Pierce, played by Alan Alder in the, the critically acclaimed Extremely popular television show, MASH. Uh, reason this character resonates so well is because it was played by a great actor. Really, I think one of the greatest actors of all time, Alan Alda. The final episode, the poignancy, the power, and the emotion of his performance in that last episode, to me, is iconic. As we stated more than a few times on the show, I think it was 82 last episode, seen by like 112 million
0: viewers
2: uh in the united states incredible uh it's a great it's a great character one because he could play for laughs and he could play serious which is what great actors can do and uh, that's what in a great actor.
1: That's what made the show great. It was both laughs and, and serious. Yeah. And, and I, if I was picking uh, from TV, I might've went with Trapper John from that same show. Cause I went on to enjoy the Pernell Roberts, Trapper John uh, MD on, on uh, CBS, the spinoff. Mm. Uh, that was a great uh, hospital drama, but a great pick. I knew Hawkeye was going to be on your list. My number uh, five, Chuck is Michael Caine. Uh, His Dr. Wilbert Larch in the Cider House rules a touching, uh, important movie. Uh, done uh, probably about 10, 15 years ago now. He co-stars with Toby Maguire. I guess we would call him an OBGYN, Chuck, uh, but uh, a disturbing one because he was performing abortions when obviously abortions were not legal, uh, running a, a, an orphanage, uh, a, a real touching film. I love The Cider House Rules. It's a great book. It's a great film. And Michael Caine was nominated for an Oscar for his wonderful performance in this film. So I had to throw Michael in there since he's newly retired, but William, Wilbur Larch in The Cider House Rules, I just love that film, Chuck. Probably an underseen movie that people need to go back and rediscover. It's got Paul Rudd in it, Charlize Theron, Toby McGuire. I mean, great cast and a real good film.
2: Oh, real good. I mean, he's a major player at the Oscar season that year. Probably a little bit of a forgotten movie at this point. But we both love uh, and adore the career of Michael Caine through the up and the down. This is a big up in his career. My number four, uh, television. uh, This is... Uh, one of my favorite all-time characters. This show ran from two thousand and three to two thousand and ten on the FX network. Doctor Christian uh, Christian Troy, played by Julian McMahon on the TV show Nip Talk.
1: Oh wow, good one.
2: To me. Almost the equivalent of watching J.R. Ewing played by Larry Hagman on Dallas. He was that good on the show. When I used to watch this on a weekly basis in his uh, chemistry with uh, Dylan Walsh, I thought it was excellent. Two very different people. But he could go – The way McMahon played this role as Christian Choi, as a a plastic surgeon, he could go from evil to good. And you liked him, but he had a dark side. And that Mm -hmm. dark side was so well written and performed. And this is one of the more underrated shows, I think, in the last 30 years. I don't know if it's on a streaming network. I'm assuming it is. I think it is on Hulu. Nip Tuck, if you haven't seen it in the listening audience, go see it. Uh, stream it, Doctor Christian Troy, played by Julian McMahon. My num-, num my number four.
1: I think a better question is where is Julian? I mean, the last time I think I saw him, he was with Doctor well, no. Doom, right? Is the in Fantastic Four? And well, no,
2: he he actually he has he's uh, he's he got the the lead. In one of the in the in the CBS FBI uh, one of the spinoff shows.
1: That's why I don't know where he is because I don't watch network television because it's god awful. I know you told you told me that. My number four, Chuck, is uh, (laughs) is another comedy. Uh, My last comedy, I promise. But uh, Doctor, don't call me Shirley Rumack, and that's uh, Leslie Nielsen. Uh, on the doomed plane in airplane. I just think this launched what would eventually become Lieutenant Frank Drebin, but his line reading in airplane have some of the funniest stuff I mentioned. Don't call me Shirley, but my favorite is when he smacking the, the lady on the plane, who's going hysterical. And I also like the line when Julie Haggerty says we have to, you know, we had two choices for dinner tonight, uh, the, the fish or the chicken. And he goes, that's right. I had the lasagna. um, just <laughs> <laughs> And his great, you know, every time he pop, we're all counting on you. Good luck. I mean, uh, I literally, if it wasn't for Airplane, we wouldn't have gotten Naked Gun. But no, he's no. a great doctor. The one doctor on the plane for Airplane. And Dr. Rumac is my no. number four.
2: That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, those movies, they don't make movies like that anymore. They don't make comedies anymore. But they No, really make no, no
1: funny that's just that. uh, that stuff's
2: iconic. Uh My number three, I went with Dr. Gregory House, played by you, uh,
1: uh, great, move, you, great show! Great yeah, show,
2: you, Laurie. Uh, on, on the TV show House, which ran from 2004 to 2012, I used to watch House religiously. I yeah. thought it was fascinating. His performance on that show, uh, is, is, oh. is so good. It's so star making, really. Star making, star yeah. making, it made him a star. And he he's 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 uh, he's an he's uh, abrasive to say the least. Um, but he, but he, at the end of the day, his heart was always in. The right place the only issue i have with house i think it, i think the show as a whole went on a little too long i rarely right. say that about shows that i like but in its in its heyday that was a great great all-time great doctor character on on tv with a tremendous performance by yeah
1: uh, by and, he, actor. and they always had good cast of characters around him uh, robert sean leonard obviously and olivia wilde yes. was on that show for a while I, yeah that's Very a real good, good show Yep. My number three, near and dear to both of our hearts, uh, the psychiatrist uh, who just keeps coming back, and that's Dr. Henry Loomis, uh, played by Donald Southern. Yes, you can throw oh, cool. in Good Malcolm day. McDowell in there, but this doctor was the one Dr. Chuck who knew what evil was and was just trying to snuff it out and just had the darndest time trying to do it, too. So Dr. Henry Loomis, I mean, Donald Pleasance, I mean, what what can we say about this role that we haven't said, but the Halloween franchise will live on forever? You know, a lot of people bring up Michael Myers and, and Jamie Lee Curtis all the time, but let's face it uh, without Dr. Loomis, there's nobody uh, pushing the story forward. And that's what he did. And I always loved his stuff. I always loved him when he scared the little kids. Uh, hey, you in uh, in Halloween, just uh, showing a little bit of a fun side to Donald Pleasant. Oh, Uh yeah. So Dr. Henry Loomis, a great stuff, great line reading and a great character. Overall, he's my number three.
2: Great pick. You know, I, I did just did a revival for Halloween of the original Halloween and Halloween 2 from 81. I got to tell you, Mike, I, I, I don't know what it, there is about Halloween 2, but I do think it's my favorite Halloween movie of all time. I think the way we shot, uh, it, it gives a lot of screen time to Don, Donald Pleasants and really fleshes out his character. So yeah, it is a great pick. Good, good pick. Uh, my number two, uh, my two and one are from the sa- same show again, my number two uh, is, is, is Dr. Uh, Mark Green on ER play by the great Anthony Edwards. I, I just think, uh, in the, the beginning stages of this show, uh, he was, he was, he was the focal point for me of, the show uh and my favorite all-time episode which I told Noah, Noah Wali in the interview we're going to listen to was an episode called Orion in the Sky season 8 the last episode of Dr. Green played by Anthony Edwards in the ER he uh, knows he has terminal cancer i think it's a beautifully beautifully done piece of television with great acting it's emotional. I watch that episode, Mike, at least once a year. I just find it extremely powerful. And I loved his character on this show. Like a lot of the characters written on ER, flawed people, uh, hardworking. It shows what doctors do. Uh, but Anthony Edwards was fantastic as Dr. Green. So that's my number two.
1: Well, I I thought that would be your number one. So I think you might have a recency bias of what you might be your number one, since Mm. maybe, maybe you're a little biased now, because you got to talk, but anyway, (laughs) I'll go, I'll go with my number two, and that's Dr. Archibald Moonlight Graham, uh, played by Burt Lancaster, and a little bit by Frank Whalley, but uh, uh, Field of Dreams, obviously, Uh, the interaction between Burt Lancaster and Kevin Costner lives uh, infamously in that film about how he always wanted to be a ball player, but Obviously, uh, he, he ended up being a doctor and the doctor is what he became in, uh, Chisholm, uh, that little town. Uh, so I, 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 to me, um, you could give me the catch at the end. You can give me James Earl Jones speech, but when Ray Liotta yells, Hey rookie and Bert Lancaster turns around and say, t- he tells him you were good the look in Burt Lancaster's face is as good as acting as you'll ever see. And of course he saves a little girl because he is a doctor because that's what he was meant to be on this earth. Love that film. Obviously we talk about it all the time, but you know uh, he's down on the list of, 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 if people would remember about field of dreams, but Burt Lancaster is Dr. Archibald Moonlight Graham to me has as powerful a moment as any in that film.
2: Oh, I, I completely concur. You know, What's interesting, because it was Burl Lancaster's, uh, would have been his birthday a few weeks ago, and I said to myself, or I was saying to somebody, that it's so cool when a great actor gets one of these iconic parts in a later stage of his life, and this was that. I mean, every scene he's in is super special in that movie. And when the high points come with his character in that film, they don't get higher. A very iconic movie, a special movie and field of dreams in Burt Lancaster are the stuff what they call of movie magic, which is a rare breed, an ingredient that's hard to concoct, but they concocted it here with Burt Lancaster. Great pick. My number one uh, bias aside uh, is Dr. John (laughs) Carter, played by Noah (laughs) Wiley on ER. Here's what I like, okay? He started on the show in 94. He ended on the show in 2009. I said to him during the interview, and I thanked him for coming back to the last season of ER, uh, where he wrapped up his storyline, uh, I, I just think what they did with his character, which I love, and I always say when when I watch uh, when I binge some of the repeats, it's like they took Noah Wiley's John Carter, uh, naive doctor from season one, and the writers got the idea to cultivate him into the Bruce Wayne of an ER giving him a multi-million dollar uh, family estate fortune. And I thought that gave a lot of levity to his character because his character in general has a good heart. He's a good person. He's seen a lot. uh, He never did that job for a buck. It was a love to help people. And one of the things you'll find in this interview that I said, which I found fascinating, he said one of the great pleasures he gets in his life is people coming up to him and all the fan mail. He gets thanking him for getting them Interested in becoming an emergency care worker, whether it be a doctor or an ambulance driver or an EMT. I thought that was a fascinating insight on what he did in the legacy, of what that show meant to him as a whole. But I do love the John, uh, the Dr. John Carter character on ER. I love the show, one of my all time favorite programs. So that is my number. One. This is a fun list, Mike. I'm having a it good is. Time.
1: And 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 all the doctors on on the show. Yeah. And obviously it would be hard to pick just one as the best. Right. Even the female doctors, Julianne oh, Margalise, was very I mean, uh, they were I, all very yeah, good. Uh yeah. her backstory I always enjoyed too, the fact that she was saved by the hospital and ended up being there as well. Um, yeah, it's just an iconic show. Um, and we we'll get to hear from Noah While here in a second, uh and and then Shane West as well. But I do want to wrap things up with my number one. Um, and it's Dr. Richard Kimball. How could it be anybody else but Harrison Ford, Chuck, the vascular surgeon, who uh is unfortunately attacked by the one armed man, the one armed man kills his wife. Well, I think we know how it plays out from there. But you know, it's interesting about this film is that him being a doctor really plays a part in you know yes, what's going so, on and who honestly, the killer is, and 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 his scenes at the hospital and he saves a kid. Um that's very my favorite good scene. scene in the
2: film. Yeah, that's my it, favorite it, scene in the film.
1: And, uh, and who else could play that part, uh, but Harrison Ford. So it, it's just a, uh, an iconic role, you know, obviously, um, he was a regular pediatrician, I believe, on the original show played by David Jansen, who you and I are both fans of. But this yes. movie uh, t- took it up a notch, added the action and more action, more adventure and a great performance by Tommy Lee Jones. But at its heart, uh, Dr. Richard Kimball. Uh, yeah, he's a surgeon, but he can help little kids, too, and he can help catch the one arm man as well. So a uh, great film. Great listen. You're right. A lot of fun. Um, And what spawned it was your discussion with both Noah Wiley and Shane West, which we'll get to now, Chuck. Um, Before we get to Noah Wiley, um, talk about the film that he has coming out first, and then we'll get to him.
2: Sure. Uh, uh, Noah uh, shot a movie. He's one of the stars of the film. It's called At the Gates. It's an independent movie shot on a budget, as you'll hear Noah said, for less than a million dollars. I got a chance to watch it on a screener. That the independent studio sent me. I liked the movie a lot. I thought it was extremely thought provoking. I'm assuming it'll be on demand very soon. It deals with the, the reality in this country of illegal uh, document, undocumented uh, citizens and workers. Uh, But the movie is a lot more than that. It's not heavy-handed. It makes you think. It works as a thriller. Uh, I think the performances in this movie are really good. It caught me by surprise to the upside at the gates. uh, A small indie film that I thought was very, very thought-provoking, interesting, and good. I recommend it. Uh, I got a chance to see this movie yesterday uh, at the gates. And I got to tell you, Noah, I was pleasantly surprised at the upside. I thought it was... uh, terrific and what i really liked about it before we set, i'm going to let you set the film up but what i liked about this movie is that it felt extremely fresh uh it kept me guessing i think it worked on multiple levels i thought it was complex i thought the last act made me think tremendously uh on a human nature and what i like most of all about it is by a first time writer director it was not in any way heavy-handed it never told me what to think or how to react, but it really did stew my mind on a lot of different things. And what I really did like is it works on multiple levels. So you, you set the movie up, and then we'll talk about it. Tell, tell the audience what the film is about.
0: Oh, my God, you just set the most beautiful table for it. Uh, I'll start by saying that I was pleasantly surprised when I saw it, too, because you don't always know how these things are going to turn out. Uh, but it started with the script, and, and like you, I was really impressed by how sophisticated this first-time filmmaker was. Augustus Bernstein wrote a really tight, very kind of uh, economical Hitchcockian thriller uh, that also sort of serves as a Trojan horse to talk about some really important issues, uh, in particular immigration, uh, uh, at, at the same time. So I took a look I at agree. it and I thought, Wow. This is really an impressive piece of work. I hope we can pull it off. And then he found the right cast and the right crew and locked us in the house for a couple of weeks, and we uh, made a nice little movie. Uh, I,
2: I just want to talk about, real quick, distribution in terms of film. Just to give you my background, I've been doing a spot uh, on film on, on radio for almost 30 years, and I've seen a lot of changes, none more so than what's happened to the industry post-COVID and i'm involved with an independent art house movie theater which i help run for the last 11 years i'm actually doing this interview out of uh, the pocono mountains in in pennsylvania east strasburg so i understand how important independent movies are and what has happened to the industry of independent movie theaters and the product itself since post-covid a lot of independent movie theaters have gone by the wayside a lot of have a lot of them have converted back to more studio fare So when i got a chance to watch this movie at the gates uh again i was really so happy to see uh, a first-time director cultivate a film that i think has a lot of viability to sophisticated moviegoers and all moviegoers and i just want your opinion on where you what is the game plan for this film obviously you're launching it in two uh cities around the country new york and la I would say 10 years ago, this movie would go on a good word of mouth, start to get multiple theaters, and have the possibility to make 10 or 20 million dollars theatrically. But I think that model has changed. So, who do you want to see this movie, and where do you think it should be played? Give, give me your thoughts on that.
0: Well, you, you really hit the nail on the head. That has been, and I think that trend was beginning even before COVID, but then COVID just sort of pronounced it when everybody got really nervous. We need anything that wasn't a costume superhero movie to try and recap their money. This movie was made right. for $835,000, wow. uh, which is something you almost want to put on the screen at the beginning of the movie because I think it changes the way that you appreciate the experience when you realize that this was pulled off uh, on really a micro budget, but still gives production value and viewing experience on par with something else. My. Talk, talk desire, about how. Talk about. How, exactly. Sorry, go
2: ahead. I was going to say, you know, you expand and then talk a lot, talk about how long this shoot took. How long was the process from beginning to end, from the beginning of filming to uh, post-production?
3: Uh, well, we had a couple of rehearsal
0: days, which is the luxury that's usually not afforded you in television or film anymore, but it was instrumental in pulling off the complexity and the texture of some of these relationships to get in there a little early and and dig a little deeper. So... We had a couple rehearsal days, and then I think the entire shooting schedule was about sixteen days, seventeen wow. days. It was really short, and really fast. That, so fast that, that, that is know, uh, every scene that takes place in my office, for example, was all shot on one day. So we were in, that was office day, and when you look at the movie, there are a lot of scenes in that office, and some of them are pretty intense, and we just knocked them all out in one afternoon.
2: I'll tell you my thoughts when I watch it. I thought the first half hour, I was intrigued. At the 40 minute mark, I was completely hooked. And then there's a sequence toward the end of the film where you and actress Miranda Otto, who plays your wife, uh, is having a conversation about the stakes of what is going on in this movie, about the consequences of their actions. And there's a lot of doubt uh, that you have with one another in the contents of a long-term married relationship, which I, which I felt felt extremely, extremely real, real. Tell me about that scene.
0: Well, that, uh, that felt real probably because there are aspects of it that were real. Miranda and I both, uh, during the rehearsal process, were encouraged to do some improvisation, kind of in and around the context of the scenes that our director recorded, And then went back and listened to it, pulled out some of the, just the choicer lines that felt like had been said before between two people that knew each other well. Um, You know, I don't think I ever really give it a, a good overview for the movie. It's really about this affluent couple who have a domestic worker working with them, a woman named Anna, who brings her son to work with her one day, a teenage boy named Nico, who's college bound, but has seen some adversity. And this couple with two children uh, have to make a very interesting ethical decision because while Anna and her son are at work, uh, immigration service pulls up, and we realize that they are undocumented workers, and if they are found, they're going to be deported. So the family make a decision that they're going to hide Anna and her son for an indefinite period of time until the coast clears and they can get them out safely. But as the movie goes on, you start to wonder whether or not everything you've been told has been true and everything that... You've been told about what's motivating these characters is is on the level. And uh, it becomes a kind of
2: interesting psychological piece. Yes, and like I said, I I think to the audience, we're on the line with Noah Wiley, who's in a new movie, At the Gates. Go check this movie out. Well worth seeing. What I liked about the end of the movie, and again, as I said, there's no heavy-handedness in the writing or directing of this film. It made me think, but it didn't ask me to go down a road of a preconceived resolution i was pleasantly surprised uh i i I didn't my point is i did not know what the outcome would be so i sat there uh sort of on the edge of my seat wondering what was going to happen and how this played out and i got to tell you this is one of those films to the listening audience that 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 hears me i would say a coming attraction trailer would not do this film justice uh you have to see the movie and understand its freshness uh, to really appreci- appreciate the work that, that, that has been done here.
0: I would also uh, say that this marks the debut performance of, a, of an extremely talented young actor named Ezekiel Pacheco, who, in his first film, gives a tremendously commanding performance, uh, disconcertingly good performance for his first big role.
2: I agree, and you know how I knew he—he was—he he has a lot of talent because when I watched the film, I could see he didn't have to speak to do good acting. A lot of his nuance, just a look or his aura, really created a lot of uh, a, a lot of backstory. I felt for that character. I do, I do agree. Give the director's uh, name because I got a feeling this is a guy who's going to be working in the industry for a long time to come. And just give me an idea what he was like to take direction from.
0: Sure. Uh, his name is Augustus Bernstein. His father, Army Bernstein, is a bit of a Hollywood veteran. Army wrote films like uh, One from the Heart and um, Thank God it's Saturday, or Thank God it's Friday back in the 70s. He produced the TV show Castle. So Augustus grew up in and around the industry and marinated uh, in Waters that were very uh, artistically rich. So he, he's way more sophisticated as a filmmaker than his than his age would lead you to believe. I got total confidence in him on the first day of rehearsal when he brought us in to take some photographs to use as set dressing around the set, you know, family photographs, posed photographs. And the way he directed us to pose in the photographs that were going to be used as props on the set was so specific that I really felt like I was in the hands of somebody who had a very clear vision for what he wanted, And I can just relax and trust.
2: That's really good. Again, on the line with Noah Wiley, whose new movie, At the Gates, uh, currently can be seen in New York and Los Angeles. I highly suggest people check it out. I would be remiss not to talk about just real quick before we wrap it up. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, I love ER. I think it's in the top 10 best television shows ever produced for my taste. At the height of ER uh, in the 90s, 47 million people were watching that show a week. Thursday night was must-see uh, TV. I was watching an interview actually last night, Noah, that you did with Melissa Rivers a few days ago, and you were talking about how during COVID you reflected on the experience uh, many years now after the fact of the success of ER and what that meant to you. I got to tell you, my all-time favorite episode of any television show was an episode of ER titled "Orion in the Sky." which was season eight, episode 18, that aired in 2002. It was Anthony Edwards' last episode as Dr. Green in the ER. Uh, I thought it was a brilliant, poetic, very moving piece of television. And there's a line at the end of that episode where Anthony Edwards, Dr. Green says to you, Dr. Carter, Carter, set the tone. And that sort of passed the torch to your character to becoming the major player on that show. And as a fan, I just want to say thank you for coming back to season 15 in those five episode arc because you did an episode called um uh the beginning of the end which I also think was a great piece of television uh and you did great work on that television show so I just want to say as a fan thank you very much for coming back for the last season and doing that show uh And what I love, I just want to say this. The one thing I do love about streaming, things I don't like, but I do like the fact that you can watch ER on Max or Hulu and a new generation can see what a great show that was. Could you expand on that?
0: Well, that's certainly been an interesting silver lining to all this is that um, it has been discovered by a whole other generation of people. So suddenly the show that my kids only know of is the doctor show I did before they were born. Uh, and uh, some street cred with their friends again, which is kind of fun. Um, I'm so gratified by that experience. I mean, and and you almost brought tears to my eyes being that specific about work that still has resonance for you. It changed my life and the relationships that I made making that show. I still consider the, the richest in my life. And I'm not ready to talk about it yet, but we're we're about to get back together again and work on something new. A lot of those old people. And uh, Oh that's awesome. For Magic. Goods dust on another show so hopefully you and i will be I, talking I, I, in a couple months and i'll get to
2: share it with you that i that that is that to me that's really uh re- really good news two two last questions before i let you go uh, uh give me a, yeah. a tidbit working with bob uh, working with bob newhart on the librarian just give me uh, a, a quick uh, ex- experience a story working with him on that show
0: Well, my very first scene shooting with Bob, I was sandwiched between Bob and Jane Curtin walking down a staircase, having to remember (laughs) that uh, I was supposed to be the lead of the movie, and I was supposed to not get disappeared from the scene, because those two are just, they're they're giants, they're legends, and I realized after about the third take, I couldn't get my lines out, because they were both so fast, and uh, it was a real gut check to... uh, to get to play with those pros. But I, I pride myself on charming him over the course of those three movies. And I think he likes me. <laughs> but I'll share with you the only anecdote that really made me laugh about him is that he told me once that he has to be extremely careful when he's performing so that he speaks extremely clearly. Because the last thing he ever wants to do is have to go back in and loop his line to a looping state, <laughs> so, because Good because story. because of his well, he is, he is very he is very he is a very specific delivery, and to go back in and try and match that is impossible. So, um, got it.
2: He, uh, my, sure my last my, my last question before I let you go. Again, we're on the line with Noah Wiley, who has a new movie at the gates uh, in theaters. My last question is this: If you had a 1,000 people, and you could sit in a movie theater and watch one movie, any movie, that's ever been made, what would that movie be?
0: Oh, my gosh. That's the most impossible question to answer. Let me think. i got to give you one. Um, right now, if one movie, I'm going to make it a big one. I'm going to go with Epic. I'll go with Lawrence. Lawrence of Arabia. I'll try to get my money's worth on length and spectacle.
2: Great. Uh... Great, great great movie. Noah, pleasure to speak to you. All the best on At the Gates. Uh, I respect the work very much. Uh, All the best of luck in future endeavors. Again, uh, Noah Wiley, At the Gates, currently in theaters. Check it out. Noah, thank you very much.
0: Thank you for your advocacy and independent film. Thank you for your passion. I really enjoyed our conversation.
2: This is Chuck Curry uh, with uh, Audio One and Movie Moments. Here's my interview with Shane West, a terrific actor who's also a musician. Shane uh, is known for movies like uh, Walk to Remember, which he did in 2002 with Mandy Moore; League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which he did in 2003; TV shows, the iconic ER, which uh, he was, which I'm a big fan of, big fan of your work on that show. Shane also the TV show Nikita currently uh, starring in an independent movie called The Dirty South, which is a crime drama that will open in theaters this weekend, also on demand. Uh, first off, Shane, welcome to the program. Thank you very much.
3: Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: Okay, first question. Uh, when I was going to come on, when, when I knew you were coming on, I was going di- to do a disclaimer uh, stating that uh, okay. you and anybody associated with the movie The Dirty South uh has a waiver to talk about the film uh last night the 118 day actor strike was finally resolved uh based on the last issue uh and i've been doing this spot on radio talking about film for 30 years it almost seems hard to believe in my mind and i want to get your opinion on this that the last issue on this actor strike was a negotiation of artificial intelligence artificial intelligence AI. Give me your thoughts on that craziness and the fact that the strike has been settled.
3: Well, look, I mean, I it, being that it was settled. Uh, Late last night, and we were up that and we we're up early to um, you know to do this. It's, I still haven't even gotten into the details too too deeply yet. But yes, for a while we knew that this was one of the one of the major problems, the whole AI thing. And you know, I think it's just it's kind of insane that this is a this is a real life uh, issue. You know that this would be something that uh, would we'd we'd have to go to bat for. But you know, look if studios and streamers and whatever are trying or doing their best to you know take people's likenesses and personas and and not really pay them for it then you know that's uh that's 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 a reality that we were trying to that we were dealing with And i'm glad that we've been able to come to an agreement
2: well i'm very happy that the strike is over i want to touch base expanding on this and i want to get your idea on this i believe sure post-covid that is two, two different structures in the Hollywood system. One is the 150 million to 300 million dollar popcorn entertainment movies, which the studios mm-hmm. are probably going to produce anywhere between 30 and 70 in a calendar year. And then a, there is a emerging market which has emerged, which I find very exciting, which is sort of the movie you're involved in, The Dirty South, which is movies being produced and being streamed on demand for a more sophisticated audience that has the ability to get first-time actors first-time writers first-time directors involved with name actors who have a lot of experience in the business such as yourself give me your thoughts on the big budget side of the industry versus the smaller independent side of the industry movies like the dirty south which was produced for around a million dollars There's a lot of million to five million dollar productions. Give me your thoughts on that uh, that that idea.
3: Well, yes, and I would also say um, that these films end up being more story based and more character driven, more yes. more at least intriguing to the uh, uh, to to the actor the actress, uh, to the filmmakers, and uh, a more exciting part of the medium. You know, I I think that. you know, thank God that that's a possibility, because all those, you know, the Marvels and the $150 million movies and things like that, not everyone's going to be able to work on those. So, and some people don't actually want to work on those, and some would like to do something with a little more heart. And, you know, The Dirty South, thankfully, is one of those films with a whole lot of heart. But, you know, in the past, there used to be, they still had, the you know, the big... Um, look, *League of Extraordinary Gentlemen* was one of them back in the day. Like the uh, they've always had the big, have the big uh, studio, you know, action pieces, and and there was always an independent world as well. But we kind of lost that, the, the middle, uh, which um, those twenty million dollar movies seem to disappear. Um, I yeah, think it was kind of by streaming. Yeah, maybe it was replaced by streaming and on demand and things like that, but. Now it seems to be, you know, yes, massive studio film or these independents. And um, I think the actors are truly loving the, the, the world that we can be a part of now and that there seems to be endless options, which is great.
2: Now, now, tell me, you, you, you agree to do this movie, The Dirty South, which opens in theaters and also on demand this weekend. You co-stars a Dermot Mul- Mulroney, a terrific actor, and Wilmer uh, Will, 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 Willa Holland, who I knew from the OC. I thought she did terrific work. That was one of my favorite shows of the 1990s. You agree to do this movie, show up to set. How much prep time in terms of rehearsal and studying the script do you get before you start shooting the film?
3: Oh, I mean, I had decent prep time because this, you know, a lot of also in the independent world, a lot of them, there's a lot of starts and stops, right? So sometimes Mm -hmm. it's about to go, then it might lose some financing or it might lose an actor uh, to another project, and then it restarts. Um, Sometimes it never happens. Um, But they were trying to make this movie for four or five years. It was going to be a summer movie at one point, but by the time... So I was, all, I was attached for about a year because I really liked the filmmakers and I liked the project and I liked their passion. I liked the character. Um, but we suddenly got the go to be able to film it um, in the fall and the winter. And we, so <laughs> the prep time for them was uh, minimal. And poor Willa, who does a fantastic job and really carries this movie, this, this, this poor lady had to come in, I don't know, maybe three or four days before we started. So it was true independent filmmaking in that sense of us really coming in at the last second and, you know, rolling that dice and hoping everything kind of connects. And I think we were fortunate to have that uh, that connection.
2: That's really good. Now, you, you know, just to the audience to understand this, In terms of for every big budget film that is released in Hollywood, a $150 million movie, there is thousands of scripts on the table that never see the light of day. So the fact that these movies are being made, I think, is an awesome thing because it highlights a lot of people who have a lot of talent and a lot of first-time writers. Tell us about the experience with this first-time writer-director on the set of this movie, The Dirty South.
3: Well, and Matthew was uh, fantastic. If you if you meet him or have a phone conversation with him or ever talk to him, he's just all energy 24-7, and that's kind of what you need. <laughs> he's very excited. He's actually a very good artist as well, uh, a painter. And um, he spent a lot of time in Louisiana, and his connections to this small town of Natchitoches, Louisiana, um, was paramount. Because, like you said, you don't have all that money to, to waste or... Uh, which big studio films do. And um, in this case, you need all the actual money you can and all the connections you can. so, in this town, Matthew had all these great connections with the people and the city. we got tons of locations, some of it for free. If we needed a tractor, we got a tractor. If we needed um, the, the police to 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 stop traffic for a scene. We were able to do that. Um, That's really cool. so, you know, those are those are those unexpected things that you can get um, on an independent uh, gritty film with heart.
2: And uh, just before I talk about some of the other stuff you've done in your career, just in forty-five seconds, give us the plot line of the, the Dirty South. What, what is it? What is the uh, What is the movie about exactly in terms of story structure?
3: Sure. I mean, it's a very. It, it, it takes place in small town America, in this case, small town Louisiana, and it follows. Sue Parker, the character of Sue Parker, played by Willa Holland, who's desperately trying to keep her family bar business afloat due to the neglect of her uh, troubled father. Uh, she stays away from losing this bar, her business, to the local tycoon, played by Dermot Maroney. And i that's when I come in. I'm Dion, and I'm a drifter. Uh, small-time petty thief uh, who goes from town to town, um, not really living his life and always looking for something. Essentially, I say looking for love, and I'm immediately taken by Sue when I run into her in town, and I decide to kind of decide to help her find the money to save her business and family. Essentially, it's steal the money, um, and it's a really simple plan, but of course, since it's a film, it spirals out of control, and it's not so simple go into I mean, larceny, lawlessness, deadly consequences all sorts of things. And uh and that's pretty pretty much the best way of explaining it because I don't want to give away anything else.
2: Very good, so fans could catch uh, the Dirty South in theaters and also on demand this weekend. Real quick in 30 second intervals, give me your thoughts, A Walk to Remember 2002, obviously important film and obviously an important film in your career, it's one of those movies uh, based on a uh, Nicholas Parks novel, so it's very generational. I'm assuming you have a lot of people come up to you and ask you about this movie. In 45 seconds just give me your thoughts on making that movie.
3: Oh, well, I mean, look—it was one of those projects where you know you're in your early 20s, you're excited to get work in general, and uh, yes. to be able to uh, get something that was so well written. I wasn't a Nicholas Sparks fan. No offense to him, I just didn't know—I just didn't know the books. We're now friends, right. and was, you know, great guy, love his work. But yeah, we didn't think it would become. We knew we were telling a good story. We knew we were telling a a heartwarming story we just didn't know it was going to last the test of time at this point and that people would be so passionate about it so uh i couldn't be more thrilled at the success of it and that different generations seem to uh discover it as they go
2: and that's really cool okay next one league of extraordinary gentlemen your big forte into big budget studio filmmaking that obviously became problematic uh, Sean Connery's, the iconic Sean Connery's last movie. What are your thoughts on, on that? In, in, in one minute, give me your thoughts on when you walked on the set to the finished product to the aftermath of all that went on with, with that film. Give, give me your thoughts on that.
3: Oh, well, it's still very much a big part of our lives that we still love that film and that in, in the underappreciated Underappreciated film, to be honest. Um, and I think the only real negative things. Um, uh, one second, I'm good for now. But one second, yes, thank you. Um, and uh, I think that one of the things that stood out uh, for us was, yeah, there was there was the negativity, but the negativity was really just the conditions that Sean Connery had with the director, and that they just right. didn't get along. The director put together, I think, a great movie. Sean did a great performance. Uh, as we see over time, that people still really appreciate that film and they kind of rediscover it. Um, and uh, look, we've, we've all stayed very connected. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life in six months in Prague. Um, and look, all this, this movie was done with almost all practicals, too. So I got to see it. Where they actually build Venice and they build the Nautilus and they build the car and all this kind of stuff, which a lot of times now we do CGI. So, I feel like it's a harkens back, harkens back to the old days, and I've always been appreciative of that film. That's
2: great. La- my last question before I let you go: uh, ER. I'm a huge fan. I think it's one yes. of the top ten. I think sure. it's one of the top ten best television shows ever produced. You did four seasons. You did season eleven, twelve, thirteen, and fifteen. You played uh, Dr. Ray Barnett. I thought you did terrific work on that show. What and what I honestly say this, what I really appreciated about that show is that is that it turned the cast over after 15 years. I thought you, Miki Pfeiffer, uh, Scott Grimes, and. Palminger, uh, Nagra, who played Neela, all did fantastic, fantastic work on that show. I love that show from the first season Thanks. to the 15th. I was so happy they brought you back to have a re- resolution for that character. Well, two things that I have a hard time watching when I show when I watch repeats, the way they uh, offed Mickey Pfeiffer's Dr. Pratt character and the fact that your character mm-hmm. got in a horrific accident and lost his legs. In 30 seconds, just give me your, mm-hmm. your memories of you um, are.
3: Some of the best. Really. I mean, I was fortunate enough that I got the role without having to audition because I don't think I ever would have been cast. There's no way I could have remembered that dialogue and pretend to be a doctor. Um, I'm an actor because I can't be a doctor. Um, but, you know, to be able to be a part of that legacy and to be accepted... And for people to love the character and, and like Ray and have that wonderful ending, but then be able to come back like you alluded to, or that you were talking about, is, um, you know, 100, 100%, like, honestly, heartwarming. Like, I was bummed to leave. I was bummed the show had to end, but that's reality. It, Um, We'll always be connected to those guys and girls.
2: Shane, I respect
3: the work. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: This is Chuck Curry. That was my interview with Shane West, who can be seen in the movie The Dirty South, a new crime drama playing in theaters and also on demand.
0: Thanks for listening to Movie Moments with Chuck Curry and Mike Rags. Download and listen to an archived show or be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear our new episode.